0: meeting together now. This is a second major heading. You had this in your outline there. Meeting together in ways whereby we experience the riches of Christian community. We said this is first of all based on what we share in Jesus now. This stimulates us to love and good deeds. This is the command in verse 24 to um, stir up or stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Look at it there. Um, let us Consider how to stir up or stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Love and good deeds is basically stirring up one another to be real Christians. What did Jesus say was the chief distinguishing mark of a Christian? Love one another. So love is the chief mark of a Christian. God is love. We have 1 Corinthians 13. So the the agape love is the distinguishing mark of a Christian. Back in the Roman persecution days, you know, behold how they love one another uh, was often said of them. That is the distinguishing mark of Christianity is love. But we are also created in Christ Jesus for good deeds right? And so there's so much in the New Testament on those who are indwelled by the Holy Spirit give evidence of that by doing good deeds. So when it says here consider how to stimulate or stir one another up to love and good deeds it's saying to be real Christians. Real Christians is measured by New Testament measurements. Love for one another, and the changed lives rec- rep- represented in good deeds. What I want to point out to you first here is that it all this is to be done as a result of consideration. See, it. let us consider. So all this we're talking about, the meeting together, meeting together in certain ways so that koinonia results, that we become real Christians. It begins with stroking the chin and considering how to make this happen. Because considering how to make this happen in Avon Park, Florida this can, is gonna be different than making it happen in Louisville, Kentucky. Considering how to do it in 2018 is gonna be different than considering how to do it in 1957. Considering how to do this in a digitally oriented culture is gonna be different than considering how to do it in a pre digital culture. Where you remember rotary phones. And that was that was it. Hmm. How do we make this happen? And so I, I, I'm envisioning the leadership of the whole church, leadership of small groups within the church like Sunday school classes, other ministry teams going, hmm, how can we structure our church, how can we conduct the gatherings of our church, large and small, so that the result is people love each other more and do good deeds. Hmm, hmm, let's think about it, let's talk about it. It's what we're commanded here. Let us consider how to make that happen. So again, it's not just saying get together in the same room more often. No, it says consider how those meetings can be structured And conducted so that the result is First Baptist Avon Park is a more loving church and the people do more good deeds. I, I would submit that may be the most radical idea in this passage because it means we don't just bump along Sunday to Sunday, kind of assuming, you know. We'll do what we've always done and, you know, we don't think much about what we're doing. Just, it's too busy. We're too busy to think about it. We just do it. Just show up and do what we know to do and then go home and we'll come back and do it the next time. But to have times where we think, consider, hmm, in our church, in our town, in our culture, in this time in history, how do we structure our church schedule Sunday nights or not large group or not how do we conduct the meetings we have when we do get together not only of the whole church but Sunday school teachers think about this now when we come together Sunday morning Sunday school how can we conduct that hour so that the result is our people are more loving more good deeds. You remember in 1 uh, Timothy chapter 1 Paul tells Timothy, remember the, the goal of our instruction is I know love this is the apostle writing to the pastor saying you know when we teach the goal is love, love for God love for one another so our responsibility according to this passage here is hmm, does that happen? Is that the result of our gatherings? Are we just going through what we understand to be the traditions and the things we're supposed to do? And they're right. We're supposed to sing psalms, spiritual songs, preach the word, do this in remembrance of me. We're supposed to do these things, but do we do them in such a way that we're more loving and we do more good deeds? And I would submit that the nature of such meetings together would... produce more koinonia as well that it's it's koinonia based meetings that make us more loving make us produce more good deeds so let me define now what I'm talking about when I say koinonia if I had my uh, technology how I would show it to you but I want you to think of concentric circles the inner circle the outer circle I'm going to distinguish between koinonia, which is going to be the inner circle, and socializing, which is the outer circle. The reason I'm using the Greek word koinonia is because if I say fellowship, I fear that what the picture that comes into most people's minds is actually socializing, not fellowship outer circle now, the big circle. Socializing is talking about news, weather, sports, work, family, politics. That's good. It's healthy. It's normal. There is nothing wrong with it in its place. It's part of being human. Every human society from the atheist club to the Sunday school class When they get together, people naturally talk about the news, the weather, sports, family, politics. That's just, we call that, theologians refer to that as common grace. Like the rain that falls on the just and the unjust. God has given everybody the interest and the ability to talk about news, weather, sports, work, family, politics. So I'm not putting that down. And I'm saying that whenever you gather in here, that's what people are going to initially talk about. Whether it's your Sunday school class, worship service, you're standing around between sessions of this conference, we tend to gravitate toward news, weather, sports, work, family, politics. That's not fellowship though. That's socializing, which is good, healthy, and normal, not putting it down but it ain't fellowship. Let's go to the inner circle now. The inner circle, fellowship, koinonia, that's talking about God and the things of God. That's koinonia, that's fellowship. Fellowship is more than that, but it's not less than that. And I submit we do much less of that than we think, even at church. So consider the conversations you had during the break. Consider the conversations you had in fellowship hall before we started this morning, or the conversations you had as you were waiting in here for us to start this morning. How many of them had anything to do with God and the things of God? And that's at church. That's what we naturally gravitate toward. And in its place is great. That's why, though, I'm saying to do what the Bible says to do here, we have to do this. Hmm. If our tendency, at almost every time we talk to somebody here in this building, is to talk about news, weather, sports, work, family, and politics, how do we cultivate cornelia? How do we cultivate talking about? God and the things of God how do we make that happen now in the model again the inner circle the outer circle to get to the inner circle you have to go through the outer circle people generally have to get caught up with one another hey how's your daughter doing you have the baby, you know, how's that? that, I mean, that's normal. People want to know about that before they want to talk about conference stuff. General. And that's why every Sunday school class in captivity doesn't get on the lesson till halfway through can I get an amen on that. And you can use all the draconian measures. You can uh, imagine, you know, we will start on time. Achtung, 9.30, we talk about Hittites, (laughs) not grandbabies, it's not gonna happen. People have to get caught up. People come in and they they just they've they've had a they got a pink slip at work. Or they got a scary diagnosis from their doctor. Or they want to come in and say, our grandbaby was born. You you can't Suppress that, it's not gonna happen. Now here is where we have to recognize culture and the effect of change here. It's not as pronounced in Avon Park, Florida as it is in Louisville, but you'll still identify with a lot of this. It's, it's true at, at, at the church I attend now, though not as much. We have a lot of seminary students at my church. So let me go back to the church where I pastored in the suburb of Chicago. We had people come from 20 different towns and church no larger than this. People came from an hour in this direction, an hour in this direction. And the only time they ever saw someone from church was where at church you could go to the grocery store seven days a week you could go to Walmart seven days a week you go to the mall seven days a week and you would never see anyone you went to church with and if you did you were as surprised to see them as you were as you would be if you ran in then to them at the Atlanta airport I mean seven million people live up there and they're so spread out, you never saw anyone from church except at church or you know, by agreement. And so when they finally get together at church, they gotta get caught up. You're not gonna get on the lesson at starting time. This is a family. They've gotta get caught up with one another. What'd the doctor say? How is your vacation? How, you know, how, how, how are things going with your son, your daughter, with the baby? And you've got a group of people trying to get caught up. That's got to happen. You've got to go through the outer circle before you get into the inner circle in most cases. Now, I can sometimes talk to somebody on airplane, which almost never happens anymore, Though our bodies are touching. We won't say a single word for an hour and a half. But in a situation like that, it's easier actually to get talking about the things of God pretty quickly than it is with many of you. Because I realize I've only got a short time with these people or sometimes what actually starts a conversation is something very serious maybe. And I'm never gonna see these people again. I wanna maximize the time so I'll get right to the things of God as quickly as possible. But with you, if I'm in the same church with you, I don't feel that same pressure. And we've got an ongoing relationship, not a one-time encounter. So I, I, I want to know you as a whole person. So how are things going at work? And what, what did the doctor say? And how are things with the family? and That's a normal part of our relationship. But koinonia means I have to intentionally press further. It's real easy just to talk about socializing. So on the one hand, it's normal to get to Cornania inner circle, you've got to go through the outer circle. You can't expect people to show up at nine there and say, boy, I can't wait to find out what happened to the Hittites. No, I want to know what happened to your grandbaby. I want to know what happened to your job. I want to talk about why my team beat your team in football. Then we talk about the things of God, the the part of the difficulty is we never get around to the latter and that requires intentionality which we'll talk about later but right now we're talking about considering how can I make that happen so I recognize as a Sunday school teacher people have to get caught up to be a family we have to talk about family things and that's often mundane stuff I've got to let that happen but I've got to consider how to get make koinonia happen because if I don't they'll talk about grandbabies and fishing all day how do I make that happen in our context and here's the role of culture too. how things have changed culture was at at a point where when you saw people face to face during the week you could socialize then when you came to church you could have koinonia you get into it quicker I remember when in my town, about the size of Avon Park I grew up in, when as a little boy, my dad wanted to open a savings account for me. And remember the days when banks actually promoted thrift and promoted saving money. You know, those little books you'd get, you put quarters in them or dimes in them. And they talk about, you know, saving money and it'll squirrels, you know, squirreling stuff away and you know, how things can grow over time. Now they, they want, it's all about giving you credit cards to get you more in debt, right? But so my dad wanted to start a savings account when I was a little boy. So he took me to the president of the bank. We went in his office and the president of the bank went and got, you remember a passbook? book? I remember those little deals where you kept your account in there and you know, $12, initial deposit, $12 in savings account. The president of the bank filled out the book himself. And then every time I ever went to the bank, you'd go up to a teller, you know, behind the little, little barred Window there, you had to go before two thirty, right? Because they closed down the bank at two thirty because it took them that time the rest of the day to you know to balance things out. Because you know making things balance it took them a couple of hours to do that. Um, so anytime I went to the bank, I, I you know I met with Joyce Childs or I met with you know people that were from church. They were my Sunday school teachers at church. I knew these people. And wherever I went, I went to get the haircut. Is my Sunday school teacher who was the barber. In other words, it was common during the week to see people from church. I knew from seeing them during the week how the grandbaby was doing. I knew from seeing them during the week what the doctor had said. So on Sunday, I didn't feel as much pressure to do that. I was already caught up because life was such that almost everything I bought, almost every transaction I had was face to face with people I knew. We moved my mother who died four weeks ago yesterday in a memory care unit. We moved her to live with us December 1st of 2010 from a town just about the size of Avon Park. After we left the house for the very last time, driving out of town, before we did, we drove to certain places to pay bills. We drove to the power company to pay the electric bill, hand them a check in person. Drove to the telephone company, paid them in person. Drove to several places to pay people she knew in person. She'd lived 57 years in that town, same neighbors on one side for 57 years. They were there when they moved in in 1957. They were there when she moved away. For 40 years, she had the same neighbors on both sides. I've never had the same neighbors on both sides for 40 months before. But that was the world she lived in. Everything she did almost, I mean, she'd never been on a computer. Everything she bought, she bought face-to-face from people she knew. That used to be the way it was for everybody. When that was the case, you socialize during the week, you could you could fellowship you could on Sunday. We don't live in that world much anymore. You do more than we do in Louisville. So what that means is we have to consider in our cultural context how to make koinonia happen it's harder now technology by facebook we kind of keep up with what's going on with the doctor and you know with the grandbaby, and we see pictures and that sort of thing and that's good but when that only makes us want to talk more about oh I saw that picture on facebook when we see somebody or we're showing pictures when we get to church So we have to say, and by the way, Ecclesiastes says, do not say, why were the former days better than these? Those of you who have approximately the same amount or color of hair as I do, may be tempted to say, you know, well, things were better when I was growing up, you know? They would put the gas in the car for you. Uh, Bible says, don't do that. Do not say, why were the former days better than these? God has made us all alive now in this cultural context, in this time. Like it or not, (laughs) that's the way it is. And so our job is to be biblical, Christ-centered Christians and churches now, in this time, in this cultural context. So that means we have to say, hmm, hmm. Back in my day, we could socialize all week long. We didn't have to socialize. We could start Sunday school on time. We don't live in that day anymore. So we have to say, all right, given our day now, it's essential that when we get together, sometime we talk about God and the things of God. And if we don't be intentional about it, it won't happen. So, hmm. In our church, in this time, how can we structure the meetings we do have? How can we conduct them so that people talk about God and the things of God? And if we do that, we'll be more loving. We'll do good deeds. When you talk about God and the things of God with somebody, I mean, that binds, together right because of what we share in Christ and you're just going to be more loving toward those people you're going to want to do good deeds toward those people let's reel all that back in now that means we have to consider hmm, in our culture in our context here now how do we structure and conduct things so that we talk Face to face about God and the things of God. How do we make that happen? We don't dismiss technology, we use it when we can. (laughs) But we make sure that we talk face to face about God and the things of God. I submit that in most churches, that are rightly motivated as I believe yours is. We do not need more of what I call sit and listen meetings. We need more meetings where there's koinonia. I believe your pastor is rightly motivated and he is very much like I am in that, all right, if our culture means we Everybody's so busy and so spread out. We don't meet together as often as we'd like. i tell you what, when we do meet together, we're gonna make sure we get the preaching of the word of God. That's priority above everything else. Our church may not be able to do everything we'd like to do, but I'm gonna make sure we do one thing and that's expository preaching of the word of God. That would be my motivation if I pastored again, I believe that's your pastor's motivation and that's right. But the danger with that motivation is to minimize koinonia. Or someone that says, look, the way our culture is, we've got fewer meetings together, so we're going to make sure we get the preaching of the word of God. The result is every meeting is just a sit and listen meeting. Every meeting is what we're doing right now. Everybody sits and listens to one guy. That does not produce Koinonia. Now, turn with me to Acts 2.42, and I want to show you that that is the beginning of ordering things rightly. Acts 2.42, Acts 2, you know, is Pentecost. And at the end of that chapter, there's a description of the result of Pentecost. There's a description of the activities of the early church. When they got together, what did they do? The early church was characterized by four things as a result of Pentecost. They devoted themselves, number one, to the apostles' teaching. They sat and listened to one of the apostles teach. That's foundational, that's priority. That is the foundation of the word of God. That's what's supposed to be first and most important. But that's not all they did. They devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and the, what do you think the Greek word is? Koinonia. To the breaking of bread, the Lord's supper, and the prayers, they prayed together. So, let me reiterate, first and foremost, the teaching of the Word of God. That's number one on the list. That's why I said if you can only do one of those four things, that's the one you do. And that's quality control for everything that follows. That sets the direction for everything that follows. The foundation of God's revelation has to be first. But I'm going to read that list again, and I want you to tell me of these four things, how many of them are to some degree at least interactive. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayers. Of those four, how many of them are at least to some degree interactive? Three. The first one was sit and listen. Everybody sit and listen to the teaching of the word of God. Fellowship, by definition, is interactive, isn't it? And they took the Lord's Supper together, breaking bread, which in that context, we're pretty sure they would come together and eat together and then take the Lord's Supper together. So you eat together, that's interactive. And pray together, that's interactive. Three of the four activities were interactive. That's why I say most rightly motivated churches don't need more sit-and-listen meetings. Rather, they need more meetings where koinonia takes place. So the foundation is the word of God is taught to people, but there needs to be time where the people talk about the word of God together. You say, well, that's what we have in Sunday school. Well, but if Sunday school is primarily a sit and listen meeting, it's not a koinonia meeting. So what's the big picture? People who never see each other during the week come to church, they, they just force a few minutes together at the beginning of Sunday school then they all sit and listen to one person teach you come in here and you have five or ten minutes for the worship service and we socialize and then we sit and listen to one person and then we go home that is great for learning the word of God but it's not great for building a family koinonia builds a family on the foundation of the teaching of the word of God so I'm, believe me, I am not putting down the preaching of the Word of God. That is foundational. And if I were pastoring again, that would be the one thing I would make sure we did, if nothing else. Because nothing else really matters, and whatever happens is not going to ultimately be eternally fruitful without the foundation, first of all, of the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. But there are churches where that's all they do. And that's not healthy. That's not biblical. So we have to consider those who, like your pastor, and like I would be, who are devoted most of all to preaching the word of God, have to consider, okay, if we have fewer meetings than we used to have, if that's the case in a church, and if our people don't socialize during the week as much as they used to, Hmm, when we do gather, how do we structure those meetings and how do we conduct them so that koinonia happens? Because when that happens, we stimulate one another to love and good deeds. When people have koinonia, they love each other. When people have koinonia, they hug each other's necks when it's over. (laughs) They're glad to see each other and they help each other. They do good things for each other, not just because they're obligated, but because they love each other. See how Cornelia results in real Christianity? Well, so get the big picture difference between socializing and fellowship because when I say fellowship I think in a lot of people's minds what they think of is donuts and coffee and it's great to have donuts and coffee but that's socializing I'm not putting it down there's nothing wrong with it in its place but if all you do is have donuts and coffee and you never talk to one another about God and the things of God that's unhealthy And it's the easiest thing in the world because we enjoy donuts and coffee and talking about football and fishing and grandchildren we enjoy that so much it's easy to do that all the time so we better stroke our chins and say how can we keep that from being all of our time together how can we make sure in my class in my team ministry in the church and on our mission trip on my part in the church we're gonna make sure we spend some time talking about God and the things of God. Not Not just discussion of the Bible, but how do I do what this Bible verse says at work? How do I do what this verse says with my kids? How do I do this in my discouragement? How do I live like a Christian when my boss is asking me to do something contrary to the Bible? How can I witness in this situation? How should I pray in this situation? To make sure we talk about God and the things of God. That's part of the glue that holds the church together. So that leads us to the third point here, which is, Meeting together in ways whereby we experience the riches of Christian community is a spiritual discipline that can be so easily neglected. As wonderful as it is, it is so easy to neglect that. It it was already happening. That's again from verse 25, because it says this this gathering together, it's easy to neglect it. It's already the habit of some. We think of the purity of the early church, but these people were already cutting back on church attendance. They were being persecuted. But this is a discipline. You have to be intentional. You have to consider it and how to make it happen and be intentional about it. And it's easy, easy to neglect that. You remember I talked about personal spiritual disciplines, those we practice alone, but we've been emphasizing this morning the interpersonal spiritual disciplines, those we do together. It's so easy to neglect them because again of cultural trends. Everything in our culture is pulling us apart from each other. We don't do very little face-to-face anymore. We don't have to. It's more convenient, more economical, more efficient to pay at the pump than it is to go inside and pay. It's more efficient to have an automatic draft taken out of your checking account than to take a check inside and pay them in person. So the pace of life and the efficiency of being able to do that is great, but I'm opening your eyes to the fact that it pulls us away from people. And so we have to be intentional, especially as Christians, to make sure that doesn't happen to our church relationships. When, it, when li- normal life more and more is disembodied, when more, normal life is more and more over the phone at a distance through technology and not face-to-face, that carries over into the church. Not by design, it's just normal life. And this passage is saying, don't let that happen. Thanks to the magic of the internet, one writer said, a person can live in one place without knowing his next door neighbor while being part of a community that spans the world. Rather than destroying the need for proximal community. Email, instant messages, text may emphasize our need for it. The more entangled our lives become in the world wide web, the more apparent it will become that physical community is absent. And and the pace of life is such that when we, we do get home, we wanna be alone, right? Last thing we want is to be with people. And technology makes that possible. I lived in Kansas City for ten years before I came to Louisville, and on one side, and the houses, you know, were, were, you know, kind of pretty much zero lot lines, hardly any distance, you know, eight feet maybe to my neighbor's house, and the people who lived there, a couple of them, one one after the other, I mean. Uh, But the second one especially, their habit was they, they would come down the street in their chariot, hit the magic button, the drawbridge would permit their access to their castle, and then the drawbridge would be closed, and you didn't see this guy until the next morning we came charging out of there. And that's the way it was, he would come in, he never came out until The next morning and on saturdays the only time he came out was to go to the mailbox and he didn't come out at all on sundays and technology allows that to happen he could hire someone to mow his yard all his entertainment was inside all his commerce could be done pretty much inside or you know when he's going to or from work and he did not have to be outside with his neighbors at all. Thanks to technology. And the guy on the other side of him lived, lived there when we moved in. Ten years later we moved out. He was still there. And so that means that, you know, basically every night for 10 years, I, I slept a hundred feet from that guy. If he walked in that door right now, I wouldn't know the man's face. the time was, you could not live like that. I mean, for one, it was too hot to stay inside. People had to go outside. And uh, entertainment was pretty much outside. People would walk by on the sidewalk stop and talk to their neighbors. They would sit outside, their entertainment was, to read the newspaper outside on the porch or listen to Harry Carey call the Cardinals baseball games on the front porch, listen to radio out there. And so entertainment was basically outside. It was more comfortable to be outside and you, you, you had to go outside to do things. And so people knew their neighbors. But nowadays, technology makes it possible where we don't have to do that. Great that we have technology that allows those things. It's more convenient. It's often faster. But I'm trying to show the, the, how that leads to an impoverishment of relationships. And Christians have to recognize that. Praise God for the technology we have. But now I have to overcome that with intentionality that I didn't have, my parents and grandparents didn't have to have. They didn't say, I, have, I better be intentional and, and get to know my neighbors. They had no choice. They had no choice. It's too hot to stay inside. There's nothing to do in there. But, you know, if you want to interact, have some kind of entertainment, most of it's outside. But technology made our entertainment inside, and it made it more comfortable inside. technology's made it possible. I can be on an airplane. I've been on 100 airplanes a year for in my 23rd year now. I've been on over 2,100 airplanes. I've seen a lot of changes. I can hardly think of one that's better, but that's that's a good change. But it used to be set on an airplane, you you know, pretty much you get to know people, talk to people, whether you wanted to or not, whether you wanted them to talk to you or not, if you were busy, but nevertheless, people would sit, you know, and it and, and often opened doors for the gospel. Nowadays, when people get on the plane, it's evident they don't want to talk and they're not going to, because before they sit down, they already have headphones on or their earbuds in as they're walking on the plane. And when they sit down, you know, they, they, they're already got the movie going on their phone or on their iPad, and they've got music or something going from the moment they sit down. So it is rare, even someone says hi. And so you can literally, your bodies are touching somebody else for, you know, an hour from Louisville to Atlanta, from Atlanta to Tampa. My body is literally touching another person's body and not say one word. That is normal now. Why? Technology made it possible. Earbuds. I remember when people first started bringing iPods on airplanes, you know. Steve Jobs famously said a thousand songs in your pocket. Before that, people brought things like this. What do we call these now, books? People brought these kind of things on airplanes. And maybe they didn't want want to read. They'd rather just talk. The world has changed. I can lament that. We can't go back to that anymore. God made us alive now. So culture helps us in some ways, especially with solitude. Culture helps us in terms of the discipline of learning. Good night. You want to learn unlimited access to... You know, the the entire 73 volumes of Jonathan Edwards, which you want to buy the hardbound copies are $125 a piece, free right here. You can access them all, edwards.yale.edu. The greatest mind America's ever produced, the Encyclopedia Britannica says. Free access to annotated editions. You can search everything Jonathan Edwards said about tithing or whatever you want to say, it's free. Wow, you want to learn the things of God? Culture has helped us immensely. But in terms of socia- fellowship, well, face-to-face is tougher. Now, the internet helps us even there. Praise God for FaceTime. Praise God, last night my wife was, had met my daughter, son-in-law at the hospital, got our two and a half year old grandson, was bringing him back in the car. So I call my wife from my hotel room. She is in the car. She can put it on speakerphone. I talk to my grandson who said, I love you for about the third time ever in his little life. I got to experience that because of technology. It's so precious. But you can't download a hug. So the, the benefits of our technology for fellowship, for koinonia, it's, it's just kind of a half koinonia. It's good, but it is not a substitute. say this and we'll take our last break. So when we are worn out by the pace of life, by the complexity of life, we finally get home, that leads to the temptation to neglect the gathering together as happened in Hebrews 10. They neglected it because of persecution. We neglect it because of fatigue and other reasons. So We want to be alone. We get home, I don't want to see anybody. I don't want to talk to anybody. That's me a lot. You know, I'm worn out. I don't want to see anybody. I don't want to talk to anybody. And yet, ingrained in our DNA is a desire for meaningful relationships. God put it there. So what do people do when they get home alone? They don't want to see anybody. They don't want to talk to anybody. They watch disembodied relationships. They watch reruns of Friends. They don't have any Friends, but they watch reruns of Friends or Andy Griffith. They they watch disembodied relationships and they literally know Oprah better than they know their next door neighbor. They can tell you a hundred things about oprah and her likes and dislikes and things about her and they couldn't tell you 10 things about their next door neighbor that's real that's real life folks well if the world wants to do that that's one thing but if christians do that it's bad it's bad for your spiritual health it's bad for the church but that's where we live that's our proneness that's our temptations So this morning is raising that awareness to say, all right, you want something better than that? I know you do, the Holy Spirit puts it within you. You have to be intentional and what you're seeking for is called koinonia and you gotta stroke your chin and think about how to make that happen. You're gonna have to be more intentional than your parents or your grandparents had to be. So we'll talk about then the last session is how do we do this? I'm even gonna give you a list of questions to ask. I mean, this is gonna be intensely practical. I'm gonna suggest the kinds of meetings you can have to make this happen. And we're gonna do that in about 10 minutes from right now.